Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. T minus 37 seconds. Fight the growing E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fabulous show, Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today, Ryan Treasure. You tuned into VoiceAmerica.com. We're the leader in live internet talk radio right here on our flagship Voice America variety channel. Man, do I love Fridays, Finding Your Frequency Fridays. And of course, on a three-day weekend, we got Labor Day coming up on Monday. So uh, I'm going to do absolutely nothing this weekend. Uh, it's 112 degrees outside and humid, and I'm going to enjoy uh, the gift of air conditioning and uh, just hang out and watch television and movies. And I think we'll have a, a little slumber party with the family and uh, do that fun stuff. But man, we have a great show for you guys today. We're going to talk about uh, uh, some interesting things as it relates to health and wellness and talk a little bit about autism, uh, what is autism, all of that type of stuff. And I had the, a, a great uh, meeting the other day at InBloom, which is an autism company, and uh, they're breaking into the Phoenix market. Uh, I got a press release that came through my desk and went, wow, I got to talk to these guys and find out how they found their frequency. And so we have a fantastic guest joining us today, Lainey Postumus. She's the regional clinical integrity officer for InBloom, Arizona's uh, uh, newly acquired uh, autism uh, behavior therapy location, and she received her master's in education, uh, curriculum instruction, applied behavior analysis from Arizona State University, forks up, uh, and is a licensed behavior analyst for the state of Arizona. She is the uh, CIO and works every day to maintain the clinical integrity throughout the region across her service providers and continually supporting the clinical team, uh, assisting in development of the InBloom student analyst program. And when you ask her why she's passionate about what she does, Lainey says, quote, I find that each step of the journey serves as a reinforcer for my work. It's so exciting to see the kiddos we work with growing and learning new skills. Lainey, welcome to Finding Your Frequency. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we really appreciate it. This is probably the best place to be um, in our building when it's so hot because it's the coolest room, you know, so we'll, we'll chill out in here uh, and we'll learn a bit, a little bit about autism. So let's kind of just uh, take a step back and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where did you find your frequency and say to yourself, woke up one morning and decided I'm going to do autism behavioral therapy for children and that is my shtick. Great question. So it's funny, if you meet anyone else in the field, they'll probably have a similar story. So a lot of people don't um, know what ABA is. Maybe they've never heard of it before, um, but everyone kind of just falls into it accidentally. And my story really aligns with that as well. So um, while I was in my undergrad in Michigan, I was going to school to be a child life specialist, working in a hospital, helping kids that way. I knew kids was going to be my thing. I just didn't really know where. And um, a behavior analyst came into one of my psych psychology classes and offered this ABA internship with kids with autism. And I was like, oh, that that sounds really interesting. Um, it would look great on my resume, good experience. Yeah. And um, from there, I honestly just never looked back. 
that's awesome. So once you start working with some of those kids, it was kind of like, oh man, this is cool, right? You got, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it is about kids smiling faces, but it just grabs your soul. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. It's just, it's the best thing ever. And you know, for us, a lot of times kids will come into us and maybe they're not super interested in other people right away. But then once you start to gain um, just those different interactions and you can find a way to make them smile and laugh and really want yeah. to interact with you, it's just the best feeling ever. Yeah, when we came to your facility earlier in the week, um, you guys had um, a kiddo that was like in session. And so as I was walking by, I kind of peeked through the window and it was really cool just to see, you know, um, how your guys' facility has all these cool things to touch and play with and kind of, you know, create those stimuluses for those kids. And uh, that kid was smiling and happy. And uh, I've watched now because you guys have been, you know, just down the way from our studio facility. Uh, When I come in in the morning or sometimes when I'm leaving in the afternoon, I'm seeing some of the kids and their families going into the facility and everybody just seems to have big smiles on their face and they're happy when they're coming and going. (laughs) That's our goal. What do you, what do you guys do at InBloom that kind of separates yourselves from the other companies that do similar behavioral therapy for kids with autism? Sure. So um, there's, you know, a few different things. I think a big thing for us is the style and teaching that we primarily use. So there's kind of two different sides of ABA therapy. There is discrete trial training. That's kind of how it all started. It's very structured. It's sitting at a table, trial, 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 very intense. Mm -hmm. And then there's naturalistic environment teaching, which is all play-based. And that's really how we kind of try to focus our therapy. Of course, there are some kiddos who need a little more um, structured um, learning environment, and we definitely have that available as well. But I think when you can try and make things more play-based and the kids are having (laughs) fun while learning, that's really the best case. Yeah, my wife and I were at curriculum night for our daughter who's in first grade. And that was one of the things that she was talking about just from a developmental perspective as uh, kids really have a couple of different ways that they learn. And so she was explaining that to us where, you know, you have some kids that can easily read material and kind of grasp that. And then you have other kids that need to, you know, do activities that uh, support the reading material so they can understand that. And that was kind of cool to see that, you know, even the school is picking up on some of those behavioral things and understanding that not one way of teaching is right for all the kids. And so they're kind of identifying, okay, well, this kid's visual this kid's you know audible and and uh, I think I think having those uh, the ability to discern like how the kid learns makes it a lot more effective for their therapy right absolutely and you know for us that was a big thing in finding a building or just a space and that was actually really a difficult process to do just to find a space that could kind of give us that freedom to have different environments and we were able to do that here um, as your neighbors and uh, you know we have um, a couple individual rooms for a more structured environment we have cool. that big open space for really naturalistic play and then we also have a classroom within our facility too for those kiddos who um, are kind of getting ready to go into school looking for more group um, just like a group therapy and group instruction so let's level set for just a second we're talking about autism but I think a lot of the listeners hear about autism all the time they see news stories and articles and um, it's a pretty widely talked about health and wellness topic for uh, for young for youngsters but what is autism? Like, let's just take a step back and uh, from your from your basis, being a clinician and working in this industry all the time, how would you explain uh, in a 50,000 foot, you know, something that you want to explain to your grandma kind of way of what is autism disorder? Sure. So this is always, uh, it's always a difficult question because to be honest, every kid that I've worked with is so different from each other, right? So there are 
tons of different characteristics that align with autism or, you know, red flags, as some people would say. And each kid has different characteristics that align with the spectrum um, or just align with that diagnosis. And so really, you know, a lot of times we see that there um, are delays in communication, daily living skills, um, social skills, um, things like that. And again, every kid is so different. It's really hard to kind of give a generic explanation that kind of aligns with, you know, every kid that we work with. So where does autism come from? Is it, is it you know, like a genetic something that happens? Is it, uh, you know, based on the, the kid's environment? I, that's one thing I really un- don't understand is, you know, how does a kid acquire autism in the first sure. place? Sure. So, and that's, the biggest question mark in our field. So there's a lot of research out there. There's new emerging research, but no. I don't, I don't think it's from vaccines. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard that one a lot. They're yeah, like, oh, it's from the vaccines and the mercury. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, I don't think so. People have been getting vaccines for a long time. Right. And something, there's a, a surgence in autism in mm-hmm. the last like 20 years that's different from the previous 20 years before it. Right. And, you know, the vaccine conversation, that's a huge conversation that, you know, maybe we come back for part two and we we (laughs) chat about that a little more. Um, But no, as of now, there's no research to support that vaccines cause autism. Um, And as far as, you know, the increase and kind of the um, the rate of kids who are diagnosed with autism, um, there's a handful of things that could play into that, but also the awareness that we have today that we didn't have 20 years ago, that's a big thing too. So um, before kids who may have had autism, they could have been diagnosed with schizophrenia or a whole different diagnosis. And actually we met with a handful of different psychologists in the area just to kind of make some connections. And um, one in particular had told us that 20 years ago, you know, she would now she knows kids who are coming to her would have been diagnosed with autism had she known that that mm. was even a thing. Yeah, so maybe there's just been a lot more research into what autism is, and then when you're being diagnosed, it's being properly diagnosed exactly. versus misdiagnosed mm-hmm. as, like you said, schizophrenia, which right. is completely something oh, completely exactly. different. Exactly, and so you would have kiddos who were diagnosed with something like schizophrenia, but maybe they were misdiagnosed, and then they would be hospitalized or institutionalized, and you know, yeah, because when they get diagnosed, they're like all of a sudden now these kids that have autism are like on psych meds or something like right, that versus right. having, you know, behavioral therapy. Right, exactly. Oh, that's and terrible. Yeah, so it's just the awareness that we have today I think has made a big difference. What piece of advice would you give uh, parents or caretakers that are unsure whether their kiddo may or may not have autism and where would they kind of start that process in getting a diagnosis or understanding what their kid's going through? Great question. Um, And this is something that I think just as a community and whole as a whole, um, we could do a lot better in educating whether it's professionals or even families on this. Um, So really ABA therapy is the uh, most supported method um, for helping kiddos with autism. And so in order to receive ABA therapy, you have to have a diagnosis. And if you're concerned about if your kiddo might be on the spectrum or whatnot, um, the best thing I can recommend is A, talk to your pediatrician, see if your kiddo is meeting the milestones that they should at the age that they're at. If you're still concerned, see if you can um, find a developmental pediatrician within your area um, or a neurologist or a clinical psychologist. And like I 
I think that that autism diagnosis is very scary to a lot of parents who are just kind of unsure. Um, but at the end of the day, that diagnosis is what is going to allow your child to get the help they need. Because a lot of times, insurance companies won't cover services unless you have that diagnosis. Yeah, that's that's uh, one of the, the hardest things to deal with is the insurance companies. We've been uh, working for uh, a, a group of individuals called Music for Maisie or Maisie's Army. Uh, we did an interview with her parents. Uh, they're out of Colorado, and she had um, like a, a genetic disorder uh, that could only be treated by one medication that just got passed by the FDA like five weeks ago, and it cost $2.2 million for one oh dose. Oh, my gosh. And so we've been doing like music uh, things and charity auctions and as much stuff as we can. And we finally um, got the help of Bill Pulte, um, who's the owner of Pulte Homes here in Arizona. And mm -hmm. they went out to Colorado um, and told the insurance company that if they didn't give this kiddo what they needed, that Bill Pulte would sue them and see them in court. Wow. Uh, and then in 24 hours, their board of directors met and they changed and reversed their, oh their order. So Maisie got her dose. And then what was really cool just to watch, you know, the support of the local community community mm -hmm. come together and when I say I'm not even local community the national community because um, this particular disorder is only like 200 kids in the world that have wow. it and um one thing I thought was so awesome is they had raised all this money for Maisie, but then Maisie got the cure and they're like, oh, well, what do we do with this money? And they're like, let's save all the other kids. Oh and so gosh. since Maisie's gotten her cure, there's been seven other kids nationwide that have either the insurance has said yes, or uh, we've been able to pressure them in some way, shape or form. And I, I listened to the, the autism community and they have a really, you know, close knit community engagement in the same type of manner where everybody works really hard together to uh, to provide all that information. What do you guys at InBloom do like in the community to entrench yourselves in that space so people know, you know, A, that you're there um, and B, that you, you guys provide quality care? So um, a handful of different things. Um, when we first came into Phoenix back in February, we spent about two weeks just kind of driving around, knocking on doors, whether it was for pediatricians or um, speech therapists, OTs, um, occupational therapists, physical therapists, teachers, really just everybody, diagnosing yeah. doctors, um, just trying to get the word out there like, hey, we're here. A, we're willing to collaborate with other providers because that's a hard thing to find. Um, and then and B, you know, we focus on quality and clinical integrity. That's our biggest thing. And so through there, we've been able to create some partnerships within the community and just, you know, keeping that communication, that line of communication open. So right now we've partnered with um, a facility down in Ahwatukee, Desert Valley Pediatric Services, and um, they provide speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. And they will actually come into our center and provide services for the kiddos who we're seeing. So that way we can kind of be like a one-stop shop for families. Nice. Otherwise, it's like trying to drive little Johnny from here to there to here and you know, just the driving in between services can be a full-time job for families. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I, I, I have a uh, just a regular kiddo and she requires all kinds of stuff just not having any health issues. Sure. So I can only imagine, you know, somebody dealing with health issues and, you know, man, uh, kudos to those parents for the patience and all the effort that they put in. And I guess, I guess any parent would do that for their kid. Right. Just like I go to dance classes and soccer and all like 20,000 things it feels like each week and I'm constantly driving. Uh, but man, what a, what a, what a great story. So let's, um, let's talk about treatment, right? 
for, for autism. I know that you guys have the behavioral stuff that you do, but I'm sure there's probably other uh, different types of treatments that are available. Um, kind of let's 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 kind of shift gears and talk about some of those different things a little bit more in depth. I know the behavioral therapy is something that you guys specifically specialize in. Uh, what other items or, or therapies are there that are available for those kiddos besides the behavioral stuff? So the the biggest thing within you know my certification and whatnot is always to recommend what's supported by research. So there's a lot of different treatments, and I put my quote fingers <laughs> up um, because there's just a lot of different um, options out there for families, but it's not necessarily supported by research. And in fact, it could even be dangerous uh, depending on what it is. And so the biggest thing to know is that there's no cure. There's there's no cure for autism today. However, there are a lot of different things that families can do to kind of help their kiddo um, learn the skills needed to just function independently in their daily life. Um, so ABA therapy is one thing. Another, a couple other services that um, are beneficial for kiddos, speech therapy, occupational therapy, sometimes physical therapy. Um, those are really the main things that are supported by research and recommended for kids diagnosed with autism. Yeah, and I've heard that a lot of the symptoms of autism are um, sometimes exaggerated, um, you know, in the media or by parents. How do you... Um, how do you dispel like the common myths about autism? Like when when you talk to parents and families. So, uh, <laughs> like I like I had said before, you know, no two kids are the same. So, um, and there's a reason why it's called autism spectrum disorder. Spectrum really meaning that each kiddo who has been diagnosed is impacted in a very different way from the next kiddo. So you have kids who are highly impacted. Uh, maybe they're you know five years old. They're nonverbal. They don't have any words or way to communicate. Um, there are some kiddos who engage in challenging behaviors. Maybe they hurt themselves when they're frustrated, things like that. But you also have kids who are five years old. They're very verbal. They're in a general education classroom, and maybe they just need some help on some social skills. So it's there's just such a wide variety of different symptoms and how they can impact each individual. So explain that spectrum, because I think that's an important piece. When you when you look at spectrum, I think of like a, from a, you know, on, on a scale of one to 10. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you explain the spectrum and kind of how uh, how that's diag not diagnosed, but um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How to explain what the spectrum sure. is? So within um, the diagnosis that the individual receives, there's also um, a number that's associated with that. So one, two, three, and that's kind of showing, you know, severe, um, moderate and mild in regards to how impacted the child is with autism or from autism. Um, so really it, that spectrum is kind of just like this blanket term that's just encompassing these kiddos who, um, you know, they demonstrate different characteristics of autism. They're just all different from each other. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, what do you guys at, uh, at in bloom? I know that you guys are new here to Arizona and, you know, we kind of talked about some of the community things. Are there, you know, celebrities or, you know, high level influencers or, um, somebody that's really helping to, you know, push, uh, the, that autism be diagnosed correctly. That's helping you guys and other companies like you, um, with your efforts. Um, you know, it's not that we've partnered with anyone, but mm -hmm. of course there are people in the community who are very passionate about it. And I do advise any parent to really fact check where they get their information from because there, you know, are some celebrities out there who may be endorsing things that are not supported by research. And then, of course, there are other um, high profile individuals who are endorsing things that are 
um, research base. So definitely fact-checked. It's like any kind of news source. You really want to know <laughs> where it's coming from and the truth behind it. <laughs> oh, let's talk about fact-checking. If you guys share something on social media before checking to make sure that it's actually what it is before you share it, I'm going to slap you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely fact-check. Yes. Uh, you know, when you when you heard of, uh, I've heard of like an educational model called floor time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that relate for what you guys do uh, at InBloom? So there are celebrities who endorse floor time. Mm-hmm. Um there is not any research to support that it's an effective model. Um, I'll stick with that. What, you know, some similarities, you know, floor time is play-based and we are play-based as well. It's just we're using the principles of behavior to teach new skills um, and decrease challenging behaviors. Wonderful. Um, how do you guys facilitate communication with nonverbal kids? So that's a great question. That's um, it's honestly one of my favorite areas of the field because um, if you just think like you have a kiddo who comes to you who is nonverbal, and then um, through ABA therapy and um, collaboration with other therapists and whatnot, um, you hear this kiddo you know say their first word or request for their first thing. And for families, yeah. that is just so impactful. Um, but kind of how you go about that. So uh, we have different assessment tools that we use. Um, usually we'll collaborate with a speech and language pathologist to determine the best mode of communication for that individual. So that could be sign language, that could be an iPad device, a picture exchange communication system, um, or maybe we are going to start targeting um, verbal communication, vocal communication. So it really just depends on the kiddo, but there are a few different ways that we can go about that and just teaching them to communicate. So even if it is a picture, um, and their favorite thing to play with is a train, and we have a picture of a train, and they're just handing us the train. At least that's some way they can communicate their wants and needs. Walk up and give you a picture of a train, and you're like, yeah, we'll build a train set. Let's yes, do it. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what other fun activities do you guys do, like, specifically? I, I saw, like, you know, slides and little houses and, you know, stuff that they can touch. Uh, kind of explain uh, some of those pieces uh, that, that you guys are using for that, like, physical portion of sure. the training. So the, all of those things we use um, as a reinforcer and really what that means it's something that is um, given after a behavior occurs to increase the likelihood that (laughs) behavior will occur in the future if that makes any sense so in that train situation that kiddo was really motivated for the train so they give us the picture of the train us giving them the train is a reinforcer we're reinforcing that behavior of them asking for the train and so what we do is we set up our centers to have many different reinforcers for all the kids that we work with so some kiddos may love a train or a swing set where other ones might want a train or block. So we try and make sure we have all different um, toys and whatnot so that they're motivated to um, kind of learn and work. So what's a motivator for you? I know that you you said in, in college you went and did, uh, you know, that internship, which kind of turned you in this direction. But, you know, that that's what got you into it. What keeps you doing it every day? So uh, it's just seeing the kids that we that come into um, our facility learn new skills and to see the difference, the, just the different place that they're in from when they start with us, um, you know, to when they're graduated or even just six months, a year down the road. And, uh, you know, we have this um, assessment tool, well, a variety 
of assessment tools that we use. And a lot of times a little grid comes with it and it'll kind of color plot, you know, here's where um, their skills are at when they first get to us. And then six months when we do a reassessment and we get to show all the new colors that we get to put on our, you know, skill assessment, um, being able to show that to parents is just, I mean, the best feeling ever. You know, a lot of times they kind of come to us and they're at a loss. They've been trying so many different things. Um, maybe their kiddo was in school for a while and they're just not seeing this progress. And then, um, you know, the goal is that we're able to come in and kind of teach them all these new skills. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're a parent and your kid walks for the first time. Yes. Because you've, you've been working with the kiddo for, you know, my, my daughter literally was the funniest thing. Uh, started walking the day before her first birthday on her own. And wow. then ever since then, you know, she's just been running around crazy. Busy bee. Yeah, but the thing that's so cool is, you know, you work with the kid and you hold their hands and you walk with them and, you know, you try to tell yourself in your mind as much as you want to hold your kid because they're your kid, you can't just hold your kid or they'll never right. learn how to walk. Right. But you, so you're, you're going through this process of uh, teaching the children how to walk, teaching them to do this. And then you feel so good when they, uh, when they turn around and they smile at you like, hey, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so I can definitely feel how, how you can, you know, uh, get those feelings on a daily basis working with kids only because I've had those feelings on my own as a parent. And I can only imagine for, um, you know, you as a clinician and then also the caregiver or, or, or parent of that to see the the growth that the kiddo makes, uh, you know, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly or whatever from starting their therapies uh, has to be one of the warmest feelings ever. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, that's, that's honestly what has kept me in the field and why I continue to do it. And uh, with ABA, there's just everything is, you know, it's very science-based, it's research-based. So there's a reason, a rhyme to the reason, um, for everything that we do. And I think that that helps a lot. So if there is a kiddo who is, you know, engaging in a tantrum, um, we understand why that's happening and we can kind of predict what to do next. And, you know, maybe next time that tantrum might only happen for half the time that it did today. So No tantrums. That's rule number three at my house. Yeah. <laughs> my house has five rules, mm -hmm. right? No whining. No crying, no temper tantrums. Listen and learn everything. Love it. Right? So those are our rules. And so my daughter, she's funny, and she'll be she'll be whining about something, and I'll be like, "What are you doing right now?" And she'll be like, "I'm whining." Oh. And then I'm like, "Well, what? You know?" And she's like, "Oh, I know. I'm not supposed to break that rule." But man, yeah, that that's so great to have that uh, interaction with the kids and see them grow. It's amazing. I want to take a pause for just a second and give a uh, give a quick shout out to Netsuite, our sponsor for the show today, because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Uh, the problem growing businesses have that keep them from knowing their numbers is a hodgepodge of business systems. And I can be honest with you, I've dealt with that. You know, a CRM, a marketing this, a different app for that, you know, uh, 20 different disparate systems that you're pulling data and reports from. And that's not any fun. So you got to have one system for accounting. One system for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big drain on resources. Too much time, too much money. So that's where NetSuite comes in by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR right from your desktop or phone. That's right. They have a phone application as well, and that's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system system uh, NetSuite by Oracle 
They're giving away some free stuff for our frequency listeners, so make sure you guys take note. NetSuite will give you valuable insights and a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash frequency. That's netsuite.com slash frequency. You get to download the free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. That's netsuite.com forward slash frequency. So big shout out to those guys. also, a couple of things for you guys. Uh, on November 7th, Voice America will be uh, out uh, with Soaring for Eagles host Crystal Richardson, uh, Feeding the Homeless, giving away some water bottles. So any donations of clothing that you guys have, uh, please uh, shoot us an email, uh, info at voiceamerica.com. If you're here locally in Arizona, I'm happy to meet you anywhere in Phoenix to pick up the donations. Uh, so definitely that. And of course, if you have to, uh, anything to donate, it could be water, it could be Gatorade, it can be any of those things. Uh, we're going to be there on September 7th. It's still going to be well over 100 degrees and these folks are living outside. So if we can give them something to cool off, that's super awesome. Uh, Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about hashtag random act of kindness uh, and some more information from Lainey. So stay tuned. We'll be right back right after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Calling all Voice America listeners, hosts, employees, families, and friends. We're super excited about our Voice America Community Service Day to be held on September 7th. Let's join together with Full Color Movement Internationals, Give Hope Luncheon for the Homeless and Families in Need. Join us at the gym at 2320 North 7th Street in Phoenix from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Come volunteer and bring packaged foods for 300 people. We need snack bags, socks, shorts, and backpacks for size small to 5X. Let's do our part to make someone's day a little brighter with our smiles, songs, poems, and some games. Soaring with Eagles radio show host Crystal Richardson will be celebrating September birthdays that day, so let's join her nonprofit and help raise $30,000 for a van and scholarships for at-risk youth. Don't miss this opportunity to make a huge difference in the lives of those that need it most. For more information on our service day or to donate, contact Crystal Richardson at www.fullcolormovement.com or go to Soaring with Eagles on the Voice America Empowerment page today. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're tuned into Finding Your Frequency with hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. Connect with the show. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure. Big shout out to my co-host, Jeff Spinard. I know you're out there listening. Uh, Can't wait for you to get back into the studio, my man. I know you're moving this weekend, uh, so good luck with all that. Stay out of the heat, and uh, we'll be happy to have you back in the studio when you get all that stuff taken care of, my friend. Uh, You know, we've been speaking with Lainey Postumus from uh, In Bloom, uh, and man, what a great story. We've been learning about autism and the spectrum and how it works and how you get diagnosed and all the crazy stuff that you hear about and all of the and all of the fun stuff that you that you find out and how awesome it is to work with the kids and see them you know advancing from one stage to another uh, before we get back into the interview I want to remind everybody to make sure uh, you can you can call in and ask questions to the show 866-472-5789 call in at any time and then of course uh, we want to talk about the uh, random act of kindness initiative that's facebook.com forward slash random aoki hashtag random aoki initiative and the random act of kindness initiative is pretty cool. Um, I'll give you an example. You're driving down the road and you see a fellow driver pulled over on the side of the road, right? And they need their tire changed or they, you know, you don't know what it is, but their flashers are on. And you sit there and you watch 27 cars drive past and nobody pulls over to help this person. So what we're trying to do is just bring back the humanity to humanism. So that way we can all help each other pull over ask them if they need help. Most of the time, they're probably going to say, oh, I've called my, uh, my my roadside assistants. They're on the way. I'm good. Or you could run into that person who doesn't know how to change their own tire and actually needs some help. I know Aaron, our audio engineer, did that as well. And what a great way to meet new people too, right? Random act of kindness. You help them. And guess what? You just met somebody brand new who needed your help. And now maybe you made a new friend. Uh, but that's what Random Act of Kindness is all about. So make sure you guys are out there and you're being kind to your fellow man. Lainey, how do you feel about that, right? You should be kind to everybody. Help yeah, people out, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually funny. There's a psychology term for why that happens, why people just drive by. Everyone kind of assumes that someone else has stopped to ask. Um, but don't assume because chances are they probably do need help. So because you know about behavior, let me ask you this question before we get back into um, some more of the applied behavioral analysis stuff. Which is, this is probably kind of that too, but... Why do people who drive have a I have to go first mentality, right? When I drive, I'm like, number one, I leave early enough or I don't have to be in a hurry, right? And so I'm driving, tooling around at you know, even in just the most random things like, you know, I'm going one mile an hour under the speed limit because the car in front of me is going slower, but the person behind me is not okay with that. And they have to hurry up, right. go past me and get right. in front of me just to drive the same speed that we already are. Yeah. Why do people do that? So, you know, and it's, the thing is, is this could kind of get deep, but um, go, there... <laughs> go, down, go down the rabbit hole. Okay. So there are four functions of behavior. Everyone does everything day to day, every decision you do, every behavior you engage in um, for four different reasons. And so it really depends on that individual and what their function of behavior is. I would say a lot of times people are just in a rush trying to get somewhere and they don't want to be late. Maybe that's why. Um, But maybe before they leave, there's something happening at home. Maybe they wanted to sleep in, but then they also don't want to be late. So it makes them be a jerk on the road. 
I know, but they even do it like on Saturday and yeah. Sunday. You know, and I know that, look, unless you're going to work on Sunday, like, what do you really have to do that's that big of a hurry that you sure. have to go, you know, 80 in a 65 mile an hour zone, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, I get that if you're like on the highway out of town driving, but yeah. like in town, like slow down, like what are you doing? <laughs> well, I just moved here from South Florida. So let me tell you, the traffic here is great and the drivers here are great compared. compared? Yes. <laughs> uh, I say that about California drivers. Oh, I'm I like, could see that too. For whatever reason, and if you're listening from California, I don't dislike you because you're a California driver. I just know that every time I go to California, you have two types of drivers, ones that drive extremely fast and ones that drive extremely slow. There's nothing in the middle. I'm <laughs> right. like, come on, guys, like make mm-hmm. up your mind, you know, yeah. like let's meet in the middle. It's funny. <laughs> I found in Florida that anytime it would rain, it was like chaos erupted. And I'm from Michigan, so I'm used to driving in like 12 <laughs> inches of snow. <laughs> so when the rain would come down, I'm just like, wait, this is it's fine. Like everyone- so that's what happens here too in yeah. Phoenix because mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of rain. So right. you'll get, you know, a crazy rainstorm and the and the, the roads will be all, you know, slick and all that kind of stuff. And people are still driving the same way with this whole me first mentality. And I'm mm-hmm. going, okay, great. And then I'll see the car that, you know, was all in a hurry up there and they like made a right hand turn and the car spun around yep. and did a 360 mm-hmm. in the middle of the road. And you know, I can't help myself but laugh just a little bit. Right. You know, I'm and like, oh, see, I, in my head, I'm like, you should have slowed down. What are you in a hurry for? Behaviorally, you would hope that after they had that consequence happen for their behavior, that they wouldn't do that again in the future. Yeah, Aaron, he's from uh, he's from Ohio, and he said, I totally relate to what she's saying being from Ohio yes. about the drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you're from the Midwest, you can pretty much drive in anything. And, you know, schools don't shut down unless there's, like, a foot of ice and, you know, two yeah. feet of snow. Luckily, Luckily for me, I didn't grow up in the Midwest. I grew up here in Phoenix, but I have a, a huge swath of my family that lives in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And it's like the frozen tundra in yep. Idaho in the wintertime. Yeah. So I have had some really good experience driving in the snow. Um, and then again, I just decided a long time ago, like, I'm not in that big of a hurry. And mm-hmm. as long as you keep that mentality with most of the things that you yeah. do, then you just kind of, you know, truck along, do your thing. Right. Not really a big deal. And that, that's how I like to take it. Just a slow, slow and steady. Yes. Right. Like the, what is that? Like the hair, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the hair uh, is not slow and steady and the tortoise is. And so that's why the tortoise won the race. Right. So right. That sounds mentality. like the safe option too. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's circle back around and um, talk about applied behavioral uh, analysis. I know that's uh, the, the main component of what you guys do. So tell us about applied behavior analysis and how you guys are leveraging it in the care for autistic kiddos. Sure. So um, applied behavior analysis, it's, you know, the science of behavior, behaviorism. Um, And this dates way back, if you are familiar with someone named B.F. Skinner, he's kind of the one who um, wrote a lot about applied behavior analysis. And so basically what it is, we use the principles of behavior, and there's a handful of principles, and they apply to anyone who engages in any behavior. And a behavior is, we kind of say it in our world, it's anything that a dead man can't do, right? So a dead man's (laughs) not breathing, breathing is a behavior, if that makes sense. How is breathing a behavior? Like, isn't that a... uh like an automatic function that your brain does? Yeah, so your body does it, and it you're right. It, the function of breathing is automatic because that's what you need to survive. So um, when you look at reinforcers, those are the things that maintain your behavior. And there are primary reinforcers that when you're born, they're automatically a reinforcer. So air would be one of those, food, water, um, those types of things. I guess, I guess breathing is um, a behavior because my daughter's always gone... <sighs> 
<laughs> so that's the thing when you when you hear behavior, you almost automatically associate that with something negative, but that's not the case. So talking is a behavior, walking is a behavior. These are breathing is a behavior, blinking is a behavior. Those are all behaviors. Now there's a difference between behavior and then challenging behaviors. Um, but I think when anyone says like behavior or behavioral, everyone automatically assumes that means you know something negative. Yeah, I guess because you don't really think about that walking is a behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess the more that I think about it, it seems pretty logical that walking and breathing and some of those things mm -hmm. would be a behavior. What about is blinking a behavior? Yeah, anything. As long as a dead man can't do it, then it's, it's a, behavior. a behavior. Yeah. Wow. So dead man can't do anything. Yeah. So there are there are other than like you know, smell bad. Over right. Time. <laughs> so that kind of breaks down into when we talk about behavior and looking at different behaviors and changing behaviors, when we're looking at what to change, we use that as a comparison. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't want to talk about, okay, my goal is that, you know, little Johnny will um, not tantrum because a dead man can not tantrum, if that makes sense, right? Like yeah. he cannot do that. So you would want to think of something that he could do like he would sit for five minutes or whatever the goal is it's really hard to get kids to sit for five minutes oh yeah mm -hmm. really hard yep <laughs> we have to practice yeah right home. i'm serious yeah oh, i believe I, it i have to go all right you don't want to listen and you don't want to we're going to practice listening and practice you know and she, my, my daughter goes what does you mean practice listening i'm right. like well you're not very good at listening <laughs> so we have to practice listening so that would be i'm going to tell you something to do mm -hmm. you're going to process that information and then you're going to take action right and she just looks at me like what and i'm like all right watch this put your dishes in the sink Mm -hmm. She goes, oh, I know what that is. Okay, well, go do that. Yeah. And I'm like, don't talk about it. Go and do that. And so, yeah. yeah, we have to practice listening at my sure, house all the time. That's, Five-year-old. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And that's the thing. A lot of times we have to kind of talk with parents on, you know, what behaviors are expected at these different ages, right? Like a, you could not expect a two-year-old to sit and attend to a task for five minutes no. that just it that just doesn't you, work it just, any two-year-old right exactly exactly yeah exactly so sometimes we kind of have to sit down and talk about okay what what's the goal for each age group and you know yeah, what you, makes you have terrible sense. twos and the people think that two-year-old kids are, are the terrible twos that's mm -hmm. no two is fantastic <laughs> it's when they're three and they become what's what my wife and i'll dubbed the three-nager <laughs> right and so they have more mobility yeah. right but they're and they have but a bigger attitude mm -hmm. so yes three-year-olds are or probably that I remember when my daughter was three, the three yeah. and four year old time right there was probably like the toughest of her toddler stages. It's when they start to learn that no is a word and it can work and just the protesting and yeah, yeah it's fun. Yeah, we've had to remind her very much that it's, it's okay. No is okay, mm -hmm. right? Because she doesn't like to be told no about right. anything, right. you know. And I have to tell her, Marley, it's okay. I'm allowed to tell you no. Do mm -hmm. you you know that? Well, why? I'm like, well, you just asked me for ten dollars. I'm like, you're five years old. Right. What do you need ten dollars? Oh, it's the book fair. Are you buying a book for ten dollars? Oh no, I want to buy these glow in the dark. Da 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 da. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no. How does that help educate yourself? And mm -hmm. she goes, it teaches me about colors. <laughs> and I'm like, Marley, you've known the colors since you were three years right, old. And right. I was like, this is just something that you want. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we can make some colory something or other because I'm all about like, you know, let's try to make it. Let's yeah. hands on. Like, let's not go buy markers until you have ten colors of markers. How can we make some paint so mm -hmm. that way you can understand how what it is to mix red and orange or mix, you know, uh, blue and green 
wanting to make different colors and that yeah. kind of stuff. How do you guys how do you guys take that approach with working with the autistic kids from a behavioral standpoint um, and 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 getting them to be hands on, but getting the outcome that is expected for their behavior? Sure. So a lot of times, you know, the goals that we work on, they may seem like there's no purpose to them at first, but it's just because we have to start at square one to get to the bigger picture. So, for example, um, one thing that we, you know, always look at is can a kiddo imitate a peer if they're unsure of what to do? So if they're in a classroom and maybe they missed what the teacher had said, can they look around at their peers and imitate what their peers are doing to follow the instructions? So where that starts is square one by just asking them to copy you while you're clapping your hands. And so if you're presenting that kind of instruction, like, you know, do this and then you model clapping and they're imitating you, that seems like it's such a small goal with no reason, but really it's just a small goal that's needed for the bigger picture. Ah, awesome. And then how do you guys set, like, I don't want to say expectations, but um, goals, mm-hmm. right, for the kids with autism? How do you step them through the process, number one? And then number two, as they step through the process and they become, uh, you know, more uh, more able to communicate, more able to, uh, you know, maybe talk or walk or whatever those components sure. are, do they get, uh, so part two of that is after you've gone through that, how do you set those goals? And then when those goals are attained, does that change the level they are on the spectrum? So not necessarily, and no one really talks about, oh, you know, little Johnny is here on the spectrum or here. It's more so just kind of looking at the individual as a whole. Um, So you know, a kiddo comes in, we do a skills assessment. Um, we have a few different options and different assessment tools that we use just depending on each kiddo and their needs. That assessment is kind of going to show us the trajectory of where we should start as far as what skills to target first. Um, a lot of times, you know, parents will have ideas of goals in mind and things that they want to work on, like potty training. That's always a really <laughs> yeah. big goal. Um, it's really important, and I, you know, totally understand why and agree on that. Um, but to get to potty training, there are so many things you need to work Work on first, right? We got to make sure that the kiddo has a way to ask to go to the bathroom. So once they are potty trained, they know how to ask, hey, mom, I have to go to the bathroom. Or maybe it's signing bathroom or mm-hmm. giving a picture of a toilet to mom or dad. Um, so there's that. They have to be able to, you know, sit for three minutes because when you have to go potty, you got to sit, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you can't you know, start going potty and then run around. Right, exactly. <laughs> you finish your business. Yeah, so <laughs> we call those behavioral cusps. They're just kind of like precursor goals that are needed to target some of those bigger picture goals. And so when we're writing a treatment plan and developing these goals, we use our assessment to kind of show us where we need to start. Mm-hmm. And we start there. And once those goals are mastered, then we move on to the next set of goals that um, are needed. And then does that that doesn't change their their level on the one to three spectrum? Like you, if you're if you're diagnosed a three, then you're always a three. So that could definitely change. Absolutely, there are you know, and I'm not a diagnosing physician, so right. um, that's not my specialty. However, if a kiddo um, gets diagnosed initially and they're diagnosed as you know severely impacted, and then they make a lot of progress along the way, and um, their beha- their challenging behaviors decrease. Of course, I could see that maybe mm-hmm. um, that number would change as they grow older. That's awesome that that could change because that that's you know like the idea behind the therapy for autism is to get a child to uh, be the closest they can be to a regular child, right? So they can have a fun, interactive, engaging life. Sure. And the way that we say it is really, we just want to help them become as independent as they can and be able to, you know, thrive in the environments that they, they are in. 
So what's the like? How how long have you worked with an autistic kid before? Like, have you worked with them for like four or five years? Sure. Yeah. yeah tell tell us a little bit about how that works with the long term relationships that you cultivate. So we always tell families the length of service really just depends on the kid and their need, and also you know how they're making progress along the way. So we've worked with kids for years and years and years, and we've worked with kids for just six to twelve months. It really just depends on the kid, and that kind of just goes back to every kid is different. And so I say it depends on the kid for almost every question because it really does. <laughs> Do you have a success story that you like to tell people of, you know, a kiddo that came in and started, you know, working towards their goals and ultimately got to a point where they were able to be self-sufficient and, you yeah. know, get into a, a proper routine and mm-hmm. some of those kind of things. I, I want to hear that story. Yeah. So um, we, I've worked with a handful of different kids where we have stories like this on. And I do want to put a disclaimer out there that, um, ABA is super effective, uh, everyone's results vary, right? So Different for every kid. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So just keep that in mind, too. Um, but there was one kid in particular I'm thinking of. He came to us at three years old. He was nonverbal, no words, no way to communicate, no interest in other people, um, really didn't get excited or upset if mom and dad came in or left. Um and would, you know, hand flap when he was bored or that was kind of what he would do in his spare time, no functional play skills, no social skills. And so within a year, um, he was speaking in full sentences, like, I want to play with the guitar, saying hi to mom, getting excited when mom would be there, um, asking for like tickles and hugs from people, um, sharing with peers. So like all these different goals he was able to, or all these skills he was able to learn in a year. And those are the stories where it's just like, oh my gosh, like to look at where we started and then where we are now. Oh, and I bet you the parents get so excited for that too, because to to hear little Johnny, like say mom, you know, when the kid's been Mm -hmm. nonverbal, you know, because I think, I think my daughter started saying dada, you know, or dad Mm -hmm. or whatever, when she was, you know, just, I was going to say 14, 15 months old Mm -hmm. or something like that. And yeah, I, I don't even know how I would be as a parent not being able to have some kind of a dialogue or communication with right. my kid. That's, going through that for those parents got to be tough. Absolutely, and and you know even taking it a step further, there are some kids who um, don't show excitement or you know being upset if mom or dad leave the room or come back. So if you could imagine coming home from work and you know your kids not looking at you, not making eye contact, just kind of. You know, you're there. Yeah, I have like this expectation only be, not not because I expect it. It's just mm-hmm. what happens when I come home. Right. Um, I generally get home after my family does. Mm-hmm. My, my wife picks up the. My wife goes to work early in the morning, uh, and then she picks up our daughter. And so they're home usually when I get home, and. Every day I'm greeted by my daughter running out the garage, mm-hmm. opening the garage for me and oh, going, Daddy, yeah, you know, right, and, I, right. and that's like the highlight of my day. Right. Um, and so having an autistic kid doesn't allow sometimes for some of those interactions between the parents. And so what's happening, in my opinion, is, you know, yeah, you're you're providing treatment for a kiddo, but you're you're literally making families happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is which is a whole other yeah. A dynamic besides what the child is getting for them right. but I mean like so you're like you're you're creating happiness mm-hmm. you're like a happy creator I like that <laughs> I guess I haven't looked at it that way but yeah I mean absolutely there are a lot of times too where families will come to us like I just have such a hard time going to sprouts 
little Johnny yeah. r- runs away from us. I'm worried about his safety or he has a really hard time if he doesn't get to bring something home with him from the store. And so we will get in our cars and go to Sprouts with our families and help them work through those situations. And, oh, that's awesome. And, and that's really cool, too, to hear like, hey, we as a family went to Sprouts over the weekend and little Johnny did great. Like he stayed in the car or he held my hand and he was totally fine waiting in the checkout line. Uh, those are just, you know, the best stories to hear. Yeah, that's that's that is a good story too because taking your kid to the store even they don't have autism is challenging. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, often tell my wife like, "Oh, don't, no problem. You, you guys hang. I'll go to the store." Yeah. You know, and normally I'm not really one to like volunteer to go to the store, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I can go to the store by myself, mm-hmm. run through that, and be back home in like a half an hour. Right. Where if I had Marley with us, then you know that doubles the amount of time mm-hmm. because you're constantly going, "No, you can't have that. No, you can't have right, that." Or right. what is this? Right? She wants to know how everything works. She's mm-hmm. in that kind of phase of life, and yeah. yeah, that just takes you longer at the store. Right. So yeah, having a, having having that ability to to have your autistic kid go there and and act right and and engage and stuff has got to be a good feeling too. Mm-hmm. And that just goes even further, like doctor's appointments or going to the dentist or. You know, if a kid has to get an x-ray, those are really scary things for kids who don't really understand why they're happening. And They're scary for me. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's tough, too, because even if you um, can explain, they may not have the skills to under- to fully understand. Right. And this is not all kids. This is just, you know, a small example. Um, but we're able to work on those things ahead of time. So maybe we'll have, like, dentist tools that we show during session to kind of prepare them before they go to the dentist. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we got about three, four minutes left in the show here. And before we wrap up, I want to know, like, what what's in the future for you, Lainey? I know that you are, uh, you know, the, the the CIO. I love the way that they did clinical integrity officer as CIO. <laughs> it's like, it's not technology? Nope. Right. <laughs> uh, but what's next for you? Is it is it uh, just increasing stuff within Bloom? Is it creating more uh, more educational components or tracks to what you guys are doing for therapy? Um, like, wh- what do you see this morphing into, like in five years? So we, as a company, just in general, we really want to find a way to help the whole community, not just the clients that we work with. So um, whether that maybe we hold. Uh, parent training sessions at our center for the entire community just so that those who, you know, can't receive services for any reason could come in and benefit from, you know, something, just have some kind of resource. And I think anybody can benefit for training around behavior, like oh, just yeah. understanding what behavior is right, and how to right. help manage it and all that. I mean, I'm learning so much today. And oh, I'm like, I can use some of this as a parent. This is yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing too, is that the, you know, what we do for the kiddos that we work with and their challenging behaviors, those work for all kids. So, and all kids cry and tantrum and they whine and whatnot. And what we do with the kiddos that we work with works across the board. Um, So, you know, just, but going back to your question, finding ways to help the entire community. We've partnered with Arizona State University to be a practicum site for their students who are looking to become behavior analysts. So helping the community out that way. you know, I'm really just excited to see where this journey takes us. Yeah, and your guys' facility is in a great location, too, for the college. Mm-hmm. You're technically in Phoenix. Right. But you're right there on the cusp, so you don't have to pay the Tempe taxes. Right, yeah, the, that's true. At the, at the, at the convenience <laughs> store. Did you know that? The, the sales tax is like uh, three pennies higher in Tempe than it oh, is in Phoenix. No, so when I go get lunch or I go somewhere, I always make a right and make sure I go get mm-hmm. lunch in Phoenix because ah. even if you go to, you know, uh, like Jack in the Box or mm-hmm. something, it, the same meal costs you 
that much more, like wow. 40 cents more in Tempe than it does know. another one. So, you know, that subway over there is better than the subway down there. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Tell uh, tell folks where they can find more about InBloom online, uh, some of your guys' contact information, and uh, maybe uh, locations that you guys have for resources for parents. Awesome. So our website is www.inbloomautism.com. Feel free to visit there. You can see the different service areas that we're in. We're not just in Arizona. We're in a couple different states, so check us out there. Um, we have a Facebook. Uh, you could search In Bloom Autism and find us there. We have a podcast, blogs, um, lots of content for our families. And um, yeah, if there's anything else we can do to help, you know, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Lainey, thank you so much for being a part of Finding Your Frequency and telling your story and uh, sharing with our community uh, about autism and how it affects families and how it gets treated and all that. We really appreciate you being on today. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Guys, you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency. Don't forget, we're going to be live again every Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Make sure you check out our website at findingyourfrequency.net. And of course, you can follow us all over social media at Radio Ryan 1, at Jeff Spinney 2. And of course, Finding Your Frequency Net is our Facebook page. Check us out all over there. Uh, And then again, you can follow all the happenings on Voice America through our Facebook fan page. And of course, the uh, Voice America TRN Talk Radio Network Twitter account. Uh, Big shout out to Jeff Spinard, Bonnie Graham, uh, Partners in Crime for all things radio. Uh, We'll be back next week right here on Finding Your Frequency.